Thank you very much, musicians, for that song. I especially requested it because that song just sends goosebumps up my spine every time I sing it. It's one of those songs that has special memory for me because it reminds me of a time early in my Christian walk in when I was sort of late teens, early 20s. And this song was very special for me because during that time, I was really wrestling with perfectionism and wanting to to do things in my own strength and to be the person that God wanted me to be by just sheer grit and determination. And through those years, I discovered that you just can't do it on your own. You actually need God's grace. And those words of that song summed up where I was and that realization that God's grace is better than everything else. And that it was well with my soul because of what Christ has done. So every time those words come up, I remember back to that time in my Christian walk when I struggled with those things and I came to that realization. And we all have songs that stir in us that deep emotion, that remind us of special times in our life as we are growing in our Christian walk. See, songs are really powerful. They're powerful because they teach truth through emotion. And sometimes we forget that we're actually very emotional beings. And that is actually part of the way God's wired us up. And emotions are good things. Truth and emotion can kind of work together. And this morning, we are going to be looking at a song, the lyrics of a song put at the end of 2 Samuel. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. The end of the book. There's only a couple more chapters to go. And what's really odd about the lyrics to this song is that this is pretty much a direct copy of Psalm 18. And if you were at university and you would put your assignment through Turner in, and we put Psalm 22 through Turner in, and, and uh, sorry, um, 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, it would come up with a 95% likeness. In fact, as you're reading it through, it's like, wow, it's exactly the same, exactly the same, all the way through. And you think, why has the writer of Samuel plagiarized and kind of put this Psalm of David right at the end. Makes you stop and think. It's also unusual because it was not written at the end of David's life. There are clues in the Psalm that tells us it was actually written kind of halfway through. And yet the writer of Samuel has placed it right at the end. You go, oh, that's a bit odd. It's also a little bit odd that this would have been a well-known song. This was probably some of the, would have been a song that would have been sung regularly in the court of David. This is a song that people would have known. So when they are reading or hearing the book of Samuel being read out to them, 
and they get to the song. It is just like for me, when I hear those words of it is well with my soul, it just triggers a whole lot of memories because there's truth being taught through that very emotional song. So the writer of Samuel has recorded it here because he wants to make a point. He wants to stir the emotions and the memories of the people listening to this to get across the point that he is making. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's read the first verse, 2 Samuel 22, verse 1. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Notice here the context of the song. It's when God delivered him from his enemies and from Saul. And you think, okay, yep, now let's get into it. But hang on, the last time, there was only other, one other time in 2 Samuel that it was actually mentioned that God delivered David from his enemies. So let's have a look at that. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can flick over the, to that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And looking at verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Very similar wording. And if you've been reading it through kind of all in one chunk, you, when, you get to Psalm, uh, you, when you get to 2 Samuel 22 and you hear those words, you'll be reminded, oh, I've, I've, I've heard something like that before. That's right. It was back in chapter 7. See, the writer of second, uh, Samuel was deliberately wanting you to kind of put those two passages together and kind of go, there's some sort of connection there. There's something I need to notice. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask Bruce to come up. We're going to have a little bit of interaction here. Um, don't worry. Unless you've been contacted, I won't pick on you. But there are a number of people that have asked to read out portions of Scripture. So Bruce, if you want to come up, and he's going to read um, 2 Samuel 7 um, all the way through to 16. God's promise to David. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in the tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt? To this day, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I not say to any of the, their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel? Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock 
to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body? And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the name of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your name will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all at the words of this entire revelation. Cool. Thank you very much, Bruce. So here we have David, who's at peace. He's finally managed to secure the kingdom. He subdued all his enemies. He's built himself a palace. And as he's resting, he looks across and he realizes that the Ark of the Covenant is still in the tabernacle. And he goes, here I have this beautiful palace. I should do something for God. I should build him a house. I should build him a temple. And it sounds like a great and noble thing, and it is. But God comes to him and says, your heart's in the right place, but I don't want you to do that because I'm going to step in and I'm going to build a house for you. Not a house like it's got four walls and a roof, but I'm going to build your dynasty. I'm going to establish you and your descendants as king. And it's going to be different to what I did with Saul because he disobeyed and I removed him but I'm going to promise never to remove your, your kingdom and take it away from, from your descendants. A very, very special promise there for David. And it's in this context that the lyrics of the song that we've got in chapter 22 is written. This is the high point for David. This is the best as it gets. And we've got to read... Um, 2 Samuel chapter 22, in that context. So with that in mind, let's turn back to chapter 22. And I'm going to ask Jonathan if you can come and just read the first seven verses of chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, 
so shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. Thank you, Jonathan. So can you feel the emotion, the raw emotion there from David as he, as he cries out, you know, the waves of death swirled around me. The torments of distraction overwhelmed me. It's quite emotive language. You see, we need to remember that the lyrics of a song are really poetry that's been set to music. And the way poetry works is it uses very emotional language. We are meant to feel it and then understand it. Poetry uses word pictures and figurative language. That t- We've got to sit and sort of mull over it to understand the, the big picture of what's going on here. And it's been likened to like a, a coil of a spring that has been tightly compressed. And it just takes that time to unfold its true meaning as you just sit and meditate and think and reflect on it. So here we have David at the high point of his life when he has all his enemies subdued under him, when things are going well, and he writes these words, and he openly acknowledges that there were times when it was tough. It was times when he despaired. And in those times, he looked to God, who was his rock, his refuge, his fortress, his unchangeableness, something solid. Because when you're in those, those, that pit, when you're struggling with, with um, when things are going wrong, you need something to hang on to, something that will not change. And he looks to God and he says, you are that thing. You are that one that I can rely on. You are my salvation. He acknowledges his hurt, his anguish, and his distress. But his perspective is always firmly fixed on the Lord, who's his rock, his fortress, and his deliverer. And then it goes on. And we're going to read the next section from uh, verse 7 to 20. So if Damien, if you would like to come. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the heavens shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dense rain clouds. A great brightness shone around him, and burning coals blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered his enemies. His lightning flashed, and they were confused. Then at the command of the Lord, at the blast of his breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. 
He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment and when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety and he rescued me because he delights in me. Thank you. And you can see that in that section, there's some really intense imagery there. Some powerful word pictures. As, as David reflects back to a time when he was, he was struggling, when things weren't going well, and he realizes that it was God who personally intervened. God stepped out of heaven and came and acted in his life. And it wasn't just a casual, oh, yeah, I might, you know, just come and hang out with you a little bit, David. You know, talking about the nostrils flaring and, you know, he's coming in, in thunder and lightning and some really strong imagery there. This was God taking a very deliberate, very, I'm invested in this and I'm coming down, David, and I'm going to be with you. It reminds you almost of a, of a parent who sees their child in trouble. And there's something that just stirs inside a parent and they just let rip, and they rush in to save their son or daughter. And the interesting thing here is that for the people that were around David at the time, they wouldn't have seen this. They wouldn't have noticed this. Because there weren't any angels that came down and, and fire and light and, and actually wiped out his enemies. or there, there wasn't anything outwardly. But as David reflects back to his experiences, he can see that it was God's hand at work and very, very deliberately. And he see that God was intimately involved in his life. And he uses that very powerful language to describe that. And I know in my life, when I look back to some of those hard times, I can only say that it was God who acted. At the time, it felt horrible. At the time, it felt like, why am I going through this? And yet, as I look back, I see that it was God working there that he had his fingerprints through everything. And even though it didn't feel like it at the time, after the fact, I could see that he was working everything in that. There was nothing outside of his control. And that's just the picture that we have here of David as he looks back to some of his trials, some of his um, times when things were rough. And then we go on to the next section. So I'd invite Wiki if you want to come, and we'll, Wiki's going to read um, verse 21 down to verse 30. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all the regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. 
I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord reward rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but your eyes watch the proud and humiliate them. O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush any arm, or I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. Thank you, Ricky. Now, this section feels a little jarring. It just doesn't sort of sit with the rest of the psalm. It's at the end of Samuel, and we know what David has been involved in. We know that for a period of maybe up to 10 years, David had taken the foot off the accelerator, he had put his life into cruise mode, and he started making one bad choice after another, leading to sin, leading to destruction, leading to all sorts of issues in his life and in the life of his family. So when it reads, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands, he has rewarded me. It's just like, ooh, just doesn't sort of sit right. See, that may have been true when David, back in, when it was written in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when he was kind of at the top of his game, when God said, look, I'm going to build a house for you. When things were going right, that may have been, may have been David's experience. And we get the impression looking in that first little bit that it's like you get what you deserve. And if you're righteous, God's going to look after you. And if you're not, he's not. But in verse 27, there's a really big but that we need to make sure that we notice. Let's have a look at it. Verse 27, to the pure, you show yourself pure. but to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. And it's just kind of slipped in there. But it's one of those things. Remember, poetry just needs that time to, to just reflect and to marinate and to you think about it, and suddenly it becomes really, really significant. Because before he'd been talking about people that were righteous and people that were pure and people that were, you know, all, all this good stuff. And he says, but to the crooked, he shows himself shrewd. I do a little bit of sort of DIY building. And one thing I've learned is it is very rare to get a straight piece of wood. You know, you can go to the timber yard and pick it up and it looks good. You put it on the trailer, you get it home, and then you go to like use it. And you're, you're sighting the board and you notice 
There's no such thing as a straight piece of wood. It's got a little bit of a curve. It's got a little bit of a cup. It's got, you know, it's got something that is not quite right. It's crooked. It's deviating from what it should be. And David said, look, that's me. I'm crooked. And God shows himself shrewd, or another way of translating that is discerning. See, just like when I get that piece of timber home, and I look at it, and I see that little bit of a curve there, I go, yeah, yeah, it might, might have a curve, but I can cut that section out, and I can use it in this way, and I can straighten that board a little bit like that, so I can kind of connect it up, and it'll be good. And that's what God does to us. He sees that we're crooked, but he's discerning because he sees our heart and he works with us. And God's grace can change us. So even though we're crooked, he can still work with us. See, it it goes on to talk about you save the humble. You save the people that acknowledge, look, I'm not perfect, and I need your help. You are the lamp, O Lord. The Lord lights my darkness and turns it into night. Uh, darkness and turns it into light. When things seem black, he shines the way and shows me how I can follow him. Because not everything, not everyone is perfect. In fact, nobody is. But when you're on that mountaintop experience, sometimes it feels like, yeah, man, I've, I've made it. Things are good. I've made it there on my own steam. And David says, actually, I'm crooked. And God's been discerning. He's been shrewd. And even though I'm not perfect, he's worked with me and he shined a light in my darkness. And because of his help, I can scale any wall. Then we look at the next section, and I'd invite Kurian, if you want to come up and read verses 31 to 46. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. To 46. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend above all bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. I pursued my enemies and crushed them 
I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help but there was none to save them. To the Lord but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of my people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me. And foreigners come clinging to me as soon as they hear me. they obey me they all lose heart they come trembling from their strongholds thank you karen notice how few times david says something about himself thank you if you look at how many i statements there are you know i did this i did this there's only six in total in that section But if you count how many statements there are about God there are at least 14 and I may have missed a few. So here is David sort of outlining what he's done but he said you know I did this but God did this. I did this but it was only because God did this. See he could look at his successes but he knew behind all of that sat God and his arm and his protection and his working in his life. And he had to acknowledge that he was only there because of God's grace and his action in his life. And we have some amazing descriptions of who God is. And as you look back in your own life, I know for myself I can see some really key moments. And I can see God acting and showing me himself through those times. Teaching me things about who he is. Which you can kind of read in the Bible and kind of have a head knowledge of, but it's a whole another thing to actually walk through those struggles and to go God you are that you are that rock you are the one that gives me strength you are the one that enables me to do the things that i can do without you i am nothing and that was david's perspective there so he finishes off the psalm it's read from 40 verse 47 the lord lives praise be to my rock exalted be god the rock my savior he is the god who avenges me who puts the nations under me who sets me free from my enemies you exalt me above my foes from violent men you rescued me therefore i will praise you o lord among the nations i will sing praises to your name he gives his king 
great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to the anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David finishes off the song by linking it back to the beginning. He says, God, you are my rock. You are the one unchangeable in my life. You have done all of this for me. And I acknowledge you. Notice also right at the end that David's also linking back to God's promise in chapter 7 that he would build a house for him and that God would not remove him or his descendants from the throne, but he would, he would, he would correct them, discipline them, but bring them back to faith in him. Notice right at the end. Says he shows his unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And what's remarkable is that David wrote this psalm when things were going well. He looked back on his life to that point and went, I am only at this point because God worked in me. It wasn't me. It was God. And the writer of 2 Samuel puts this psalm right at the end to give us that perspective again. Because David was not called a man after God's own heart because he was perfect. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that we've been going over the last few Sundays in which it was very obvious he was not perfect. He stumbled, he fell, he sinned, he stuffed up. But he was a man after God's own heart because he had the right perspective and he sought after God, even in the midst of all of this. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, what I said on the mountaintop is the same now, that it is God who does everything. I am only here because he's worked in my life. I am only still king and my son will be king because of God's grace, not because of anything I've done. What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It means that we have the right perspective. That we're able to look at our life and to see the hand of God working in us. On the mountaintop, we're able to acknowledge that it is God who is by his grace has brought us to this point. And we see his handiwork in our life? What does it mean when we're at the bottom, when things are rough? It means that we turn to him. And just like David, we cry out in distress to him and says, God, you are my rock. You are the only thing holding me here. Help me, save me. 
being a man after God's own, man or woman after God's own heart is about having perspective and focusing our eyes on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you can do something with crooked people, that your grace is greater than anything we do. Father, thank you that at times we can look back in our life and see your handprints. Help us to trust you when when times are tough, to cry out to you, to lean on you. And then when things are on the mountaintops, to reflect back on the things that you have done in our life and to celebrate your loving kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.